Welcome to the second installment of True Crime October. Today, Manny and I will be commentating on the Netflix film, American Murder. The story of the Watts family murders that occurred in Colorado by a Christopher Lee Watts. So thank you for joining us, Manny. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Um, this movie, what did you, what are your outright thoughts, just general thoughts about the movie? I think it's just a very sad tale of someone just losing it. Just someone just losing it entirely for the wrong reasons. You know, it's very sad to see someone unravel so hard yeah. Just because the spark of a relationship was just gone. You know what I mean? That's just sad. Yeah, I in general thought that the film did a really good job about trying to per per uh sorry, trying to show all the evidence up front in a way that I feel like hasn't been done before. Um it was interesting to see specifically the text messages. Um, as evidence that they brought over. But my general thoughts in general is just, it was very shocking, very frightening to watch. And I definitely liked the way they edited the, the movie in general. I think it was actually um, very insightful into the way that police officers do their job because this is a film that you don't watch just once. You've watched twice, three times because you pick up on clues and it's, it's just very interesting. So let's get down to some of the facts. Mm -hmm. So the family, the Watts family lived in Colorado in the United States. And there's the husband, Chris Watts. Um, at the beginning of the film, they really portray him as an all American dad, you know, very much loving his family. Yes. Um, we have wife, Shannon Watts. Um, who was at the time pregnant with um, their son. And then we have uh, the two little girls, Cece and Bella, or Celeste and Bella. Um, I believe one was four years old and the other one is three years old. Yes. So very young children, very sad to see, um, especially with all the videos and all of the audios. I mean, they have a lot of content. I was just gonna say, when I was watching the movie, I saw a lot of social media presence within Shannon Watts, um, a lot more than usual. Uh, what do you think about that? I don't know. I just feel like it's a very interesting, while we were watching, we were making a lot of commentary on just like the, tri like the dynamic that the relationship had. Mm -hmm. And it was showing very clearly that they were not having a healthy relationship. Through the text messages. Through the text messages. Yeah. So it just became very evident that I'm not saying that it justifies him murdering his family. No. Absolutely all. not. Yeah. But it just shows very clearly that this had a very bad foundation, like everything in general. Like yeah. The relationship amongst themselves how it projected into like their families, 
your yeah. friends. Like, it was what did you think about the social media presence? However, it was overwhelmingly positive. All of Shannon's、uh, Facebook videos and. I guess video messages with the girls.、Right. It, it was a, it was a different. It was telling a different story. Yes, and it's interesting because it's like it, as you learn、um, throughout the documentary that she comes from a place of trauma and insecurity.、Mm-hmm. It's very clear that she's not a hundred percent. Maybe dealt with some of her insecurities,、yeah. and it, it felt to me personally that she was using. This guy as almost like not necessarily like a stepping stone or a, I think that it was more like a crutch to make sure that she could like feel better and、okay. she gave、um, she devoted a lot of her time to convey that to the people in her circle at least at least what we see from in the film right so exactly like, we we, we can't. You know, we can't、right. comment on what actually occurred. We、no. can only see what the film provided us. Speculation. Yes.、Um, what I thought about it, especially from a director's choice, it was very juxtapositioning. I, I feel like it was juxtaposed against、uh, the text messages that were overwhelmingly、uh, fractured, showing the fractured lines in the relationship.、Um, there was a lot of doubt, a lot of fear in the text messages.、Um, A lot of questioning to the friends. I mean, some of the texts that they would see is like, "Oh, he's ignoring me. He's not talking to me. What's going on?" But then on the videos on Facebook, you know, the girls would be singing, "My dad is a hero," and we'd get Shannon kind of really talking positively about her husband, about how he's the perfect dad,、um, and we really see that his connection to her on social media. Was that of a man who just loved his family and just wanted the best, and、um, that's what kind of kind of got, which made it seem、um, almost impossible to figure out a suspect at the beginning, which right, right. we're kind of get through it. Yeah. So more on the factual information. So the film then takes us from some videos of her introducing herself and her family on Facebook. Um, some happy photos between the children and the husband and her, and then we transition into a scene where it's around one to two a.m. It's actually footage、uh, that's from the house, the security camera, and we see footage of her entering with a suitcase because she just got back from a work trip with her friend Nicole and got dropped off at the house at one or two a.m.、Um, and that was apparently the last time anybody saw her. And the next hours that transpired in the morning were very critical for the case、um, to try to figure out what happened in that time because the last person that saw her was her best friend Nicole, and actually was her husband in the morning that we last saw him. So、um, I kind of just wanted to talk about the situation in the morning. It was 8:55 a.m. when Nicole tries to reach Shannon. I believe it was like two missed calls and then text messages. I want you to make sure you're okay. And in the film,、uh, the friend, well, in the body cam footage, the friend really tells、um, the officer that she's concerned for a friend. That's why she called the police. She wants to do a checkup because during the work trip, Shannon wasn't. I mean, Shannon was not acting、uh, normal. She wouldn't eat. She was very worried. So I kind of want to talk about that scene. The scene in the beginning, when the officer gets on the scene,、um, right before Chris 
comes around. What did you think about the way the officer handled that situation? What do you think uh, was really important and vital in that scene? I don't know. I feel like the the way that things were handled in general by most of the investigation units and law enforcement on the show is very polished. It's very proper and it's very respectful to their procedures. Like mm -hmm. you see a lot of respect. You see a lot of um, thoroughness when it comes to following protocol, making sure that there's consent across all boards. Yeah, they you know, really did hone in on that. Right, it's very clear that it, like th these um, officers were very um, understanding that like with no context, yes, we cannot proceed with the things that you're expecting. You know, like some people yeah. in the beginning, this lady wanted to kind of just go into the yeah, house. walk into the house because the husband was not there. Right. Um, they suspected that her and her daughters would be there. That maybe. Right. Um, she was ill of some sort, and then the film kind of goes on to show that she does have lupus, right. an autoimmune disease. Um, and Shanann actually talks about that in her Facebook videos, about how lupus is a very serious condition, and that she just felt like she was almost dying every day, losing her hair, feeling like she had the flu. So really, there was a concern there that she had, she might need help. Yes. Um, but I, I, I like how you bring up the permission thing because the, the officer really needed consent from the property owner of the house in order to enter an establishment. Like they can't just enter a house, sorry, without permission. Um, and the friend it was on the phone with uh, Shanann's mom and her dad. And the parents seemed very concerned. They were like, I want you to break into that house. I'm giving you full permission to enter my daughter's home. Um, which of course every parent would want to break down i mean the doors to get in and see how their daughter was but the officer made it very clear that they cannot enter um because it would be unlawful for them so then we see uh chris the husband arrive and i feel like the footage in the film i mean it was it was very raw it's the body cam footage but immediately you see chris run over to the police officer, kind of shake his hand, introduce himself, and then just go in to the garage to open the house. Um, and he doesn't lead them in through the garage. He actually goes around and opens the front door for them, which is, I thought was strange. I don't know. I would have possibly let them in through the front door <laughs> or, you know, try to get them in as fast as possible, but Officer was still asking, waiting for permission from Chris to let them in. And then as soon as he opens the front door, he kind of just runs to the kitchen and starts texting on his phone. Um, what did you think about that? It was, I mean, it's funny because we had an argument about this while we were watching mm -hmm. because um, I knew nothing of these killings. Like I didn't know enough about the guy. I didn't know that it was going to be like that. So. I decided to like assume a more neutral stance and it just and it just became uh it just became about like in my mind he was just coping with the fact that he was stressed out that his wife was yeah like taking an a uh, pretty much like a, a stand back approach right i'm just frozen because yes. i don't know where my wife and kids are i'm shocked right it's like i'm just kind of dealing but you mentioned a couple of things that kind of help you separate 
like a, maybe like a fright response yeah. from just like a rather suspicious one. Yeah, a defense. Right. So one of the points that I brought up when I saw this scene was first, the awkward introduction. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he was if he was briefed over the phone before he arrived with the police officer or anybody else, I would see no reason to question what's going on or asking Nicole, have you seen her? Have you heard from her? Did she respond to her phone? Like you would expect some kind of communication there, but it was very a quick introduction. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, officer. My name is Chris Watts. Thank you. And then he kind of just rushes into the house. That was my first kind of concern. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody who would be framed as, I feel like as a suspect versus witness. Um, the second bit was letting them in through the front door. I did not understand the, the, the point of opening the garage, going by himself inside the house to open the front door for the officer and the friends. In the footage in the body cam, you can see the officer needs consent to enter the home. However, um, I would say if you were not a suspect, just right. a witness or right. somebody who has no play in this at all would lead the officer in like, yes, officer, come on in. Let's go through the garage. It's the fastest way. Or, you know, let me in through the front door. I mean, he kind of just separates himself. Right. right, Give him right. Himself a, he gave himself more space than ought to. And then as soon as he opens the door, he goes to the, we see in the body cam footage, he just goes to the kitchen by himself yes. and starts texting. And the officer actually has to ask, do I have permission to enter your house? And Chris says, yes, come in. And then the officer kind of walks up to Chris. Hey, can you check upstairs? Make sure your wife isn't passed out. Is she diabetic? And Chris whips his head and says, oh, right. Okay. And immediately begins to check upstairs. I find that, I found that as somebody who wanted to give themselves space and almost a way to calm down or plan out, mm-hmm. you know, kind of methodically think about what, what can I do? Because right. now is showtime, you know, right, versus right, right. I'm shocked. I don't know what to do. I'm a wounded puppy. You know, if that was, if that was the case, I feel like the person would almost follow the police officer in yeah, we, we agreed on that, that it became very clear that if he was this fright, frightened uh, uh, partner or person, he would take uh, comfort in following someone with a leadership, inner leadership position. Yes. So that kind of like debunked my stance on that and it was very valid that like, yeah. he was just acting like... Very sus. standoffish, yeah, right, very suspect. Sure. Okay. And then um, later on in the scenes, um, it's kind of just like a walking through the house, finding that the girls' blankets are gone, the girls and Shanann are nowhere to be seen, her wedding ring is on the nightstand, her phone is on the ledge, um, on the half wall ledge upstairs in between the bedroom and the bathroom in the hallway. Uh-huh. And I, wanna, I wanted to ask your um, opinion. How did you find that, the, the finding the wedding ring um, how how would you as a man if you if your wife just suddenly left while you were at work, left her wedding ring and left her phone? What would you think is going on with your daughters? Oh, uh, I don't know. With my daughters, I would be like, okay, she took my kids, and I would be concerned, uh, obviously, about their well-being, yeah. but more so about 
what motivated her to downright just leave everything behind? Yeah. Like, was there a perpetrator in the house? Was there something happening that was so scary that you needed to leave all of these things that are objectively deemed as vital, but then take other very specific ones? Yeah, I find it strange that someone who would, let's say she did run away with the kids, why would she leave her phone? I right. feel like somebody who didn't really want to be contacted would just, you know, silence it or turn it off completely. Right. Like, um, like, it, it just seemed like... Or leave a note with the wedding ring. Right. It would be something like super urgent. You know, it would have to be something so stressful and so life or death that it would somewhat justify you leaving your phone. And they didn't really find any clothes missing. No, like... There was no sense of urgency. The only things missing were the girl's blankets. Right. Is what he says. Yes. And and when he found the wedding ring, he didn't really seem upset, actually. No, if this right. is the first time you're hearing about your wife leaving you, I feel like there would be some tears or some emotion. Right, right. And At least for most human beings. For Obviously, most. there's always going to be exceptions. Yeah, everybody will react different, but generally speaking, you would think that someone that's that stressed would emote more. And I, I forgot to mention, um, before they entered the house, Nikki, which is the best friend of Shanann, was on the phone with her mom. Um, and her mom uh, says that Chris said Shanann was at a girlfriend's house. Um, yeah. He somehow made a story of how she was at a girlfriend's house However, we had seen footage that Shanann did arrive at the house claro. and did not leave. Mm -hmm. So that's also some kind of suspicion if he knew where she was, but doesn't know where she went. Right, right. Like it's like either you don't know or you know. <clears throat> or you know. That was something that the, the, the lines weren't um, making sense for me. Okay. And then the next scene, we kind of see... Uh, Chris following the officer to a neighbor's house to yes. try to see if they will find the footage. Mm -hmm. And what striked me as super suspect was that while the neighbor was looking at the footage, um, Chris was very nervous. He was talking a lot. His hands were over his head right before the footage was playing. He, I, I felt that that was one of the moments where I saw pure emotion from him and it was pure fear. Claro. So, what do you think about that, that specific scene, if you can remember, um, the neighbor's footage of his uh, truck? Like, it was a clear tell, like, that was, that's like the turning point, because from this moment, like, up until this moment, you don't have a lot of context. Yes. And, for example, if you're not aware of this case, you can come with the mindset of, like, oh, wow, there's a ton of questions, and there's just... They're trying to figure it out, but as soon as they leave, or or oh yes, as soon the as next he scene. leaves that house, and then you kind of because again, he just looks like okay, he's starting to emote, he's fidgeting, he's, he's starting. He to seems show, more nervous, right? So Maybe he's concerned now, right? Because in the footage, it doesn't show any evidence. There's nothing. Objectively speaking, there doesn't seem to be something that's a tell or like. There's no legitimacy of like information. Yeah, the footage doesn't show anybody coming into the house. And you know, you would feel like, oh my gosh, what happened? But right. it's very suspect because the neighbor said um, he he entered, his truck usually is parked outside of the house. And right. in the footage, it shows his truck going into the garage. Mm -hmm. 
the garage door closing and then him coming out of the garage. And the police officer had asked Chris, oh, why did you go in the garage? She was like, oh, well, I have some tools uh, for work that I need to load up. And it's just easier if I put my truck in the garage. Claro. Yes. And so like it's one of those things where um, like that's when the point of view of the or in the style of the documentary changes. Yes. Because it's like the director's telling you essentially, hey, the things that you're going to see are more than likely going to be questioned, not just by the people in the documentary, mm -hmm. but they should be questioned at a, like they should be questioned by the viewer because things are now having to be interpreted. So it's a different mindset. Yes. And let's talk about that next scene when um, Chris leaves. Right. Uh, the police officer um, tells Chris, oh yeah, you can go ahead and um, You can hold it to go. I just got to get his information real quick. Right. That's like that's that's the turning point that we're talking about. As soon as he leaves, the 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 neighbor walks closer to the officer and kind of like questions like he's never like this. He's very fidgety. He's always very stoic and calm and collected and he's not doing that. He's acting suspicious. I know it might be from it might be crazy to And think. the officer even said that right under normal circumstances some people will react nervous and emotionless some people just act like that right right but then we hear the neighbor say um he has never parked his truck in his garage before right, right. that is something he has never done before so it just starts raising that question like around like there's clearly some inconsistency either in his speech or in the information that's being conveyed here and we need to start doubting which is what happens to the user at some point because you start making questions like, okay, who's lying? Is it the neighbor? Is it the footage? Is it this guy? We don't know. Mm -hmm. So we're going to find out. And we find out very quickly that it just becomes like a very, I want to say intended web of stories and versions of what happened that gets unraveled throughout the documentary. Yes, correct. I definitely thought um, the way that they kind of organize the footage. I mean, it's all it's all transpiring at current times, but um, they really do add the effect of like, this scene is particularly like a, a turning point and that we need to pay attention to it. The way, just the way that the footage was edited, I feel like it intentionally showed like, hey, there's something off here. And so the next scenes, um, they kind of just, get to the point where they started in interviewing him and interrogating him. We do see that the media did take a lot of interest in this case. Um, I actually found out of this case, not through Netflix uh, movie, but actually through Facebook posts um, talking about how, you know, this family was like the all American family, you know, just a wonderful husband, wonderful wife, two beautiful kids. Like I, that's all I got the media attention we got. So it was, To hear about the murder, it was just very shocking, terrifying. Right. So I kind of knew that he was a suspect from the beginning before watching this film. Um, and the film does a really good job of making you believe that he's this good guy. Yeah, they set up a very nice neutral uh, baseline for what unravels afterwards, which is very sad and very distorted. Yes. And we'll get to that right after this. So the next few scenes, we kind of get context mm -hmm. about how Shannon was feeling before 
obviously the murder took place or her disappearance. We kind of see text messages between her and her friends. We kind of see the interviews of Chris Watts in the police department, you know, kind of talking about, so let's talk about you before this. Did you guys have any fights? And we come to learn that there was some disagreements. Yeah. And the text message shows that there was distrust between um, Shanann and Chris. It's very interesting all, how all of that kind of um, unravels because in the beginning, uh, he presents it as a very like emotional conversation that happened before she left. Mm -hmm. uh, and then as we move uh, forward... Where did she go? Like apparently she went to I think North Carolina to yeah. meet with yes, her family. Yes, that's right. That's right. She went yeah to meet so, her other family, and he didn't come along. I think it was like she spent five or six weeks. Something out there. like that. She spent like this. She stayed there for like about two months, and then he was going to tag along towards the end so they can come back. And it was just interesting because throughout all of this, um, you you tend to start. Uh, seeing some inklings of of too much stoicism coming from him it's like he's not responding to her text messages he's not, not really responding period like yeah like he's not emoting towards the people that are making these questions he's not giving anybody pretty much anything to the point yeah. where you can't help from you can't help but being like a little bit like wonders about it it's like you, you start getting like surprised at this point because it's like dude it's been 20 hours you should give the people or yourself something you know officers are talking to you officers are asking you these questions officers are you know asking of you and even in the way that he gets asked for his daughter's information you see a very matter of fact very strange non-frazzled Chris yeah, Watts. very standoffish, un I would say emotionless, and yes. there was actually footage of um, him being interviewed by the media saying if his family is out there and they could listen to you, what would you say? And he kind of just says, I want you back home, you know, I hope you come back home, but there was no tears in his eyes, he was very calm, but we see that rocking back and forth, uh, hands crossed over the chest, like the body language throughout the entire film shows that he is trying to comfort, comfort himself, but seems also metic very meticulous about his reactions, not very emotional, not a lot of emotion in him. So let's, let's kind of talk about, uh, in the interview, uh, they kind of talk about his weight. Um, so they talk about how in the beginning of the relationship, Chris weighed about 245 pounds. So he was a big guy. And throughout the course of their relationship, he started to get more involved in fitness. Yeah. And you, became like almost like a bodybuilder at the end. You made an interesting observation Cut. about that. And it also showcases another big flaw in, in their relationship. Mm -hmm. You said something about um, like them having a disconnect because they met at one point in their lives and then it seemed like he was improving and maybe he didn't see, I assume, speculation, bro science, <laughs> uh, like it, the same level of improvement, like from her end, like in his mind. Yeah. This is a, we don't know. We don't know. We're just speculating. Right. But it just felt like, you know, he was moving in one direction 
and he wasn't getting like the parallel movement from her. Like you, you said something about like him moving forward and like remolding himself and then her not changing. Yeah, so um, I actually watched this YouTuber um, called Obese to Beast. Uh, definitely check out his channel. And he's basically somebody who went from 300 pounds to really lean and cut muscles, like um, became an advocate for health and fitness. And he talked about how a lot of relationships before a fitness journey begins might see a lot of tension um, because when you are overweight or you are a person who has difficulties with food and a bad relationship with food and you start a relationship during those points of your time when you're not kind of settled mentally, you haven't figured yourself out, there's no journey to real health, um, you find somebody with similar patterns, similar behaviors. Um, so, you know, when you are overweight, you tend to find people who are into the same kind of things you are, like as not, not really going to the gym, um, maybe watching a lot of movies, maybe eating a lot of food. It, it, the relationship comes uh, about, it becomes about the uh, behaviors you both display. And that makes sense because you always go for commonalities, right? Exactly. And so when somebody is making a change of themselves, right. relationships can weaken if the other person is not encouraging that change or is not a part of that journey. If you're Sorry. going it alone, you're going to think, oh, this other person is changing. I don't know who he is. He's going to the gym more. He's not doing the things we used to do. Like it just poses a very interesting test for the relationship. Yes. In the sense that like, it, it's a wake up call for you individually because you're improving. And then it also shows like, where does your partner stand? Yeah, what other aspects of your life need improvement as well? Right, because it becomes like a reflection, right? Like, oh wow, in, in this case, I see that my husband is improving. He got really fit. Um, where am I? Right. Yeah, or he seems to be changing. His focus is always on the gym. Right. He's always focusing on his weight. Um, where where do I fall in? What happened to the man I know? And a lot yeah, of these journeys, really and this is just something that happens across the board to some a lot of people in weight loss journeys. If your partner is not encouraging you or are going along with you in this step, a lot of the relationships will fail because you become a different person. You become to form different habits want to do different things, want to be more active. And the interviewer uh, at the police, the investigator, sorry, I should say, the investigator at the police department really made a fact that it looks like you were, you know, getting really shredded. And what we see in a lot of cases when men usually improve their bodies and self-image is that they tend to cheat because yes. they can't find, you know, they're doing this for somebody else. Right. They're fixing themselves in their image because they want, you know, they got encouraged by this one person who they thought, oh wow, I really wanna make myself look great for them. I really wanna do this for them. I wanna see, you know, if I can prove myself to get them. And Chris out just flat out denies that. And um, I kind of, it, what's really interesting is that in the text messages that Shanann was having with her friends, yes, she pointed out that Chris was getting more involved in fitness and he was it almost became a problem yeah it, it came it became a problem in the relationship she was sick and tired of him constantly working out and right. focusing on working because out because she also had this character flaw that she was a very i don't want to say highly strong she was just a very 
she was intense person. She liked things a very specific way,、mm-hmm. and she wanted people to have a very active involvement in the way said things were. So、mm-hmm. when he had another point of focus in this situation, that wasn't it, her. That wasn't her or what she wanted. Yeah. Like it became like a like a like a flaw. Like something is happening within our relationship that's you know either distracting me or distracting him from you know focusing on what I want. We're not saying she's a narcissist. That's not no, what we're no, saying. No, no, no. I mean, even her friends acknowledged that she was bossy, and they said that. Yeah, she just started seeing that the fitness was becoming an obsession with him. Right. And she didn't understand why. Why is this taking over our relationship? Exactly. So. She just wanted more attention from him, and he was not willing to like listen or like acknowledge that she was in that moment in need of that time, which is very concerning in any relationship in any state because obviously you have to listen to each other, and the fact that they were like together for so long and they just now like starting to acknowledge that was interesting to me because it's like what happened here. And then you remember that earlier in the documentary, they mentioned that she comes from like bad relationships. Yeah, she has a lot place, of trauma, right, and like insecurities.、Mm-hmm. So it makes sense now that she, you know, felt a very specific way from the, those attitudes. So it, it, everything kind of makes sense, but it shows that the foundation of that relationship was very brittle. Let's just say that. Yeah,、um, a lot of the text messages you see in the film、um, American Murder. Is that、uh, Shanann was always asking her girlfriends for advice,、um, and one of the actually, I would say, kind of hard to read, hard to digest, knowing that you know this woman was brutally murdered, was that she was craving attention from him, and not just attention but sex. It was very cringe to to, to read those, and I'm not saying that 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 a woman can't ask for sex. Yeah, it wasn't no, that、fine. at all. No, it that... was just that. Like there was a clear sense of like desperation. Desperation, yes. From from the way that she was communicating with her partner, or not with her partner, but with her friend. Yes. Um, and like like you can just see this woman unravel. Like in, yeah, it, it's like it becomes it's, a fight of of it becomes a question like oh I'm trying、yes. you know, to get naked I'm sitting here on the bed naked、it's, lying waiting for him when is he gonna give me my sex. And、it's uncomfortable because, like, you—it's very—it's very vivid, right? Like, it's very been, vulnerable. It, yeah, can, we've all been there to a point where, like, we craved something so much that you need to like vent it out on someone or on something. So it's a very human moment to the point where it becomes like very visceral. Like, you get to feel like like both sides, right? You feel like the empathy coming from her friend. And then like that sheer like desperation, like what's going on? Wow, like it was crazy. I'm、that、not was... getting you know any touch, any attention, and、um, she starts to suspect there might be another woman. Right. And in the test, the text, as we can see as they continue throughout the movie, is just、um, that questioning. I think she he has another woman. If he, you know, no matter if he just didn't love me anymore, a man still needs sex. So he has to be getting his sex from somewhere if he won't even touch me anymore. Right. And he keeps den- and then the text Shannon kept saying that you know Chris denies it. He just says there's nothing wrong with them. They're fine. They're fine.、Um, even though he's not really communicating with her anymore, he's not calling her frequently, not texting her. And their texts they do show some texts between Shannon and Chris.、Um, 
texts like grocery shopping, what would you like to eat? Right. Or like, I miss you, I'm wait I'm waiting on the plane, like I'm coming back. But I'm these about also to land. seem very bland, you know, like they seem yeah. very they seem very, I don't know. It's, Straightforward kind of cut. It's very blunt. matter of fact. It's yeah. like, hey, I'm about to get on the plane. Okay, thank you. Thank you for taking care of the kids. I appreciate it. What would you like for dinner tonight? Oh, broccoli sounds right. great. It's Maybe like you're talking sounds. to your roommate, you know? Yeah. Like you don't sense like yeah there's like a connection there yeah you never sense that from their interactions and chris definitely said that um in the emotional conversation they had um the night that shanann came back from the airport was that right. he felt that there wasn't a spark right anymore right, right. with them exactly when they you know he wanted to talk about that how he didn't feel like there was a spark anymore that they used to have that they it felt like they weren't in love mm -hmm. anymore yes. together um so yeah, just shocking to read those text messages. Yeah. So now we're kind of rearing its, the murder's rearing its ugly head. We we are getting to the point in the film where, um, where what happened with re, what really happened, and actually, we see the footage, the actual footage of Chris Watts. Um, consenting and then taking a polygraph test. Yes. What do you think about polygraph tests? Do you think they're reliable? Um, I, th I mean, they're not anymore because we've 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 all heard about people beating the polygraph. There's breathing techniques. Yeah. Uh, there's like you know, there's people that just naturally have a low heart rate and they can like compose themselves really well. So it's not an exact science, but in this case, it was very effective because. Um, I think it was a mixture of him just not being able to cope with what happened emotionally yeah. and then very astute professionals that were on the forefront of this test. Yeah. Like uh, I know that we talked about it when we were watching it, but I was blown away by the way that um, especially the analyst and that detective. Yeah, the, the person, uh, what is it? The person providing the polygraph test. Like the person that was leading the test and then the detective that was there as well. Administrating the test. Yeah. They did a magnificent job just like reading the situation correctly, mm -hmm. yeah. being ahead of the curve. Yeah. Like, and it's like, and also with enough respect and enough distance to like never like put themselves like in a position of, of dominance. Yeah. Like we mentioned that they, they, they keep a very neutral, empathic approach in the beginning and in, during and throughout. But they also know when to step up and like enforce that position of authority. So in my mind, that was super interesting because I've never seen such an organic, smooth operation. It's yeah. always very like abrupt and like cut and dry, black and white. There's no nuance. So this has been one of the first times in these like true crime like shows yeah. where you see like that very smooth, like lean, working set of steps towards the truth that you're trying to find like yeah. in my opinion like it was just very cool yeah the the questioning of the polygraph test you know um right before uh they were getting into the test um you know she she did she did kind of frame it as and he was connected to the polygraph test so this i believe was also the part of the test before she, she said the test even had begun. I feel like this was the part she kind of told him like, hey, you did agree to this yes. for on the record, you agreed to take a polygraph test, which 
this just shows that you're willing to cooperate with law enforcement and that there is possibly no suspicion that you could have been uh, involved in the disappearance of Shannon Watts. Shannon Watts. Um, you, by taking this test today, you are proving that you are innocent and are just trying to help us gather more information. Because mm -hmm. then she says, because it would be stupid if you were a part of this disappearance and decided to take a polygraph test. She said the cool thing about polygraph tests is that somebody, one person enters, you know, within this, between you and I, one person knows the truth. But by the end of this polygraph test, we both would know the truth. Yes, that and was such a good statement. Are you kidding? That blew me away because really what we're doing is raising the stakes, right? making him question himself emotionally and mentally oh god am i stupid for taking this and she says there's no possible way you could have been involved and he said no she's like okay then we can start the polygraph test right just know that if you were ever involved i would know and that'd be a stupid decision to come here to take a polygraph test knowing you would fail it and then they started the questioning of the test i feel like the questions that subscribe towards the the later parts, I feel like that wasn't even um, required or necessary. I felt like that first question, that first setup, they could see through the polygraph test how his heart was reacting, if his emotions were out of control. Um, basically, by the end of the polygraph test, she says, all right, well, the polygraph test is done. Right. And I think you know the truth here. Like it, that part, I know the truth here. That and part is so interesting because like the way that she phrases that it's like, okay, now this is over and now we both know how we did. Yeah. We both obviously know right? Um, that you failed this test. No, that happens afterwards. Oh, no, no, no. She said it in the film. Um, she says it to him right after the polygraph te test is done. I think she leaves the room or the investigator comes back in the room. Like I brought she him sits in. down. I brought him because we need to talk about the test. Yeah. You clearly she, failed. You obviously kind of clearly failed. You knew you were going to fail. Right. And he just, we see this breakdown of a human being. We just see the breakdown, the confidence crumbles. It's so methodical and it's, it's never, it's never like. It's accusatory. Never, it's never it's, accusatory. It's, right. And that's kind of what um, interested me. It was one of those things where. You see them like it, like in fighting terms, they weren't trying to go for like a knockout. They were picking him apart slowly. Yeah. And, and it was very clear because sometimes he was trying to snap back, but it was like, no, because of X, Y, and Z. And then I need you to tell me the truth. Like it was never like that. You never saw someone got like truly like, you know, wound up or truly upset. There was always a level of assertiveness yeah. to the statements. And yeah. that was what was interesting about that. Because it was like, okay, you clearly failed this test. So now we're going back to square one. I need you to tell me what happened. And he's like, no, but nothing happened. I'm telling you the truth. You know that's not true. And we know that too because we made the test. So let's try that again. I need you to tell me what happened. Yeah. Like it's always like, it's almost like a politician hitting talking points. It's like, yeah. I understand what you're saying, but talking point. So it's very thorough and it's very specific. And she even, so the way she phrased it too, um, at the beginning of this, that made me feel like, wow, this woman, amazing. She says it, you came in knowing you were going to fail this test. You knew you were going to fail because at the end of the test, you knew you would have to open up 
and just take it off your chest. You knew by the end of this test, you're like, Chris, we just got to open up and just tell our story. You knew coming in that you just wanted to take this off your chest, almost like a manipulative statement of what, obviously nobody wants to fail a polygraph test if they're a suspect in a murder. Right. But she kind of frames it like, this is what you always wanted. You you always wanted to come clean about this. Manipulate him into thinking like, we know your strategy. Your strategy here was to do this and almost like kind of make him believe, oh yeah, okay, I can do this because they're right. I came here because I knew I was going to fail. Right. And it it becomes an interesting game because you see her slowly like implanting this idea that in the back of his mind, he just really wanted to come clean, but never had a platform. And this test just gave you the the platform to tell us what's going on. Because now we know where we stand, you know, like as far as like, your headspace and then what we know and they had um they then transitioned into it kind of explaining um this other woman that comes into the relationship we see a nicole pop up a friend from work um and we see her being questioned by investigators we see footage from i guess chris's phone of her pictures her videos um and her saying that yeah, she met when she met Chris. They were just friends. Yeah. Um, he introduced himself as a man that was, had two kids, so she knew about the kids. Um, and basically, a man. She said he was planning a separation from his wife. So she, in her mind, believed this is a married man who's separating, has trouble in, with his relationship. So you know, things progress from friendship to a relationship. He actually did cheat on her. Right, and that's also like one of the big uh, like reveals of the documentary that throughout all of this narrative that he built, yeah, he was very adamant on the fact that he did not cheat on her. Yeah. He told her that, he told the officers that, and then they slowly creep this woman into the Yeah, the before narrative. the polygraph test was even, was even taken, they had already interviewed her and they already knew that he had cheated. So when right. they brought it up, he said, we're not even going to mention her. There's no need. She wasn't mentioned in this test because we already knew you were lying. We already knew about her. We already had all, which I found interesting because in my mind, I thought that, and I think that it's also like a clever editing trick. We think that in the timeline of how this worked, they were doing this to further investigate other leads where on the other hand, what they did is that they already had all these leads and they already went through them thoroughly. Mm-hmm. This was just to give him another opportunity to, to kind of like, clean. or to show more inconsistencies. Yes. So it, it's an interesting approach because it's like, no, 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 we already have all of that. We didn't even, we didn't really need you here because we well, already have that. They didn't, they didn't have, okay. The one thing I'm going to disagree with you there, they did not have the statement of coming clean. They didn't have enough evidence. They to didn't show. have a confession. Right. Yeah. They didn't have a confession. They didn't have evidence. They didn't know where the bodies were. They didn't right, know what right, happened. Right. The only thing that they knew was that he lied about the affair. Right. Right. So something enough else to, is here. Right. So this polygraph test, we're not even going to worry about him asking questions about, did you cheat on your wife or anything like that? Because the real question is, we already know. Yes. That. The real question is, is how did this happen? What happened that night? Right. And, you know, Chris is very adamant about not speaking after the polygraph test. Um, The analyst, the person who had administered the polygraph test, you know, asked him, like, what happened, Chris? You're a good guy. Did she she hurt your kids? I would understand if you try to kill her if she hurt your kids. Did um, she, like, do something to them? He was like, no, no, no. And he was denying it. No, I just, I don't want to. 
I don't want, no, she would never do that. I, 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 I never, I would never do that. I have no idea. And then he says he wants to speak to his dad. He wants his dad. Right. And he mentioned that his dad is uh, halfway across the country right now. And that he, he, he just wants to talk to his dad. If he could just talk to his dad. So they did bring his dad in. Yes. And, um, what did you think about the scene of that father and son scene? It's a weird one because it's it's one it's like it's interesting to me because there's a couple of there's a, there's a bit of nuance here, right? Because you obviously know that this is being recorded, mm -hmm. but then they're almost like using like that emotional like leverage that a parent has, right? It's like, hey, no, it's okay if you don't want to talk to us, you can talk to your dad about this. Yeah, I think the cops knew that bringing in the dad would be a good idea because to soften, to soften the blow to make him open up. Right. So it became very clear that it's like, okay, we have him in a nice vulnerable position. He's rattled. You know, it's like the bad cop quote here is us shaking him and making him see that we already have a ton of information. And then what we're going to do is that once, once he's in this frazzled state of mind, we bring the dad to provide comfort because mm -hmm. the dad was waiting in another room. And yeah. he had access to everything that was happening. So it's not like he's coming in blind. Yeah. He comes in and then you see a very like comforting dad approach. But yeah. always with a face Rubbing of the like, back. wonder. Always like, you see in his face, just like, wait, what type of expression? Even though he's trying to comfort his son, obviously. He was just trying to get to the bottom of it. And actually what's really funny, well, not funny, but what was something that was telling that I felt like me Chris want to open up more was that the father came in and said I'm not gonna tell anybody that was what, so key right I'm not gonna tell anybody just tell me what happened what yep. was going on yeah and then Chris says I don't want to protect her he says you don't want to protect her I don't want to protect her what happened and then we hear a confession yep. of him saying Shanann strangled the kids right because and I wonder if they know about the, the affair. Spot. That's kind of like the thing. Like in hindsight, now that I think about it, yeah, he may have he may have used the talking point that the lady gave him. Oh yeah, of course he used it as a cop out to try yes. to, to fix the narrative get, to favor you know, him. Yeah. I had to kill her. But because I wonder she if screamed. he had that in his mind or if he came up with that as he was. I there. think he. I think he came up with it as he was there. That's I feel like he had no idea how to get himself out of this. Yeah. When the analyzer, you know, kind of gave him a motive. Yeah. Like she was just so upset that you were cheating on her that she she touched your kids. She threatened to you, hurt your kids. Yeah. yeah. Is that what? Is that why you had to kill her? Yeah. And you know he's denied it in the recording. Correct. But um, when his father was there, he used that as the story. Which I so we're find... seeing an inconsistency or we he you could just chalk it up to well he he didn't want to blame it on her. Right. So now he's telling his dad. You know the truth because and he just... I did because she was hurting my kids and it, there's like an inkling of a confession in the sense that yeah I killed her but these kids I did not touch yeah I think that's bullshit you know right. why because at the beginning they they even mentioned you know Shanann would never hurt her kids right, because right, right. there was the incident of the ice cream so in All the right. beginning of the scene um Shanann always had a rocky relationship with Chris's parents um especially the mom her mother-in-law they felt like they never liked her. She didn't have a good relationship. Right. And they bring up the story of how S Cindy, which is Chris's mom, have given one of the daughters yes. ice cream that had things that she was allergic to. Oh my God. And Shanann just 
went off yeah and basically argued how dare you almost kill my baby you try to kill my baby yeah she had a very like, adamant approach yeah don't you know she's allergic to this I, i'm just trying to protect my babies and basically cindy had to kick shanann out you know and and shanann had told chris you really need to talk to your parents because what happened there was so wrong it's about my kids you know a woman a mother who would protect her kids at at the cost of anything why would upon hearing you know an affair would ever try to hurt her kids i would see more of like i'm just going to leave and take our kids mm -hmm. not the i'm going to kill our kids for what you did which is right. what he was trying to frame the story as claro and and the weird thing about that it's that like it it almost like stalled the whole situation a decent amount yeah. just because we needed to debunk the narrative right yeah. is this guy responsible of three brutal murders or he's just a passionate father who just defended the well-being of his you know american values as a yeah. family so it, it it almost like imprints and it, it, it addressed in the documentary as well that it sparked a lot of controversy because again she was a very interesting human being obviously yeah the family perfect. did receive a lot of hate saying right. that she caused this right like she was a bitch in, in the minds of a lot of people in like social media and stuff which like it, it gave him a lot of time it gave him a lot of time to kind of like there's no excuse oh no for i'm not killing saying someone I, yeah i'm not saying that it gave him time to like get away with it but it did stall this process where it could have been a lot well, more incisive in the in the next question that the investigator and the analyst ask is that um you know okay now that we know what happened where are the bodies located and he kind of describes how um shanann is buried mm -hmm. on the site where he worked that morning yes um she was buried and then they asked okay where are the girls and, this and then is the turning point this yeah is where things start to get like rocky because it's like they're in a tank but why are they in a tank yeah and, his and daughters were here and here so he had put each one in an oil tank chris was an oil and gas operator yeah. for a company so um he worked at these sites um operating the you know in these areas are very secluded yeah they're like in the middle, like of, nowhere. In the middle of nowhere yeah. um a lot of space in the in at 5 a.m it's still dark out Yeah. You could easily hide a body. Obviously, he said he buried her. Mm -hmm. But why would okay, why would somebody bury one person and then put two children in an oil tank? Right, like it just Especially someone who says they didn't kill the kids. Right, you know? like you have no responsibility. And then I remember once we were watching, you made the observation that if you have nothing going on or you have like, you know, this like strenuous situation of for example, you reacting and killing somebody like there is an argument to be made that one of the first things that you do is call the cops or like if, if a woman tried to strangle your baby right. you are a strong guy who is fit you could easily knock her out you know or separate her from the kids you know unless she did it somehow behind her back we never really got the full rundown of that because his obviously the story was a lie but I was just speculating like you you have the power to stop a woman from strangling your kids and also even if you did um if a woman did try to hurt your kids i mean you would probably beat the shit out of her and then call the cops and say i right. have to beat up my wife it ain't right and try to strangle my kids it ain't right but like you would think that that's like something that you you could be put in that position it was it's just very hard to justify 
how you couldn't have prevented like the, the deaths of, of your babies right. and then your babies and then bury the mother and then put two kids in oil it's just it doesn't make There's sense a to weird me inconsistency why why what is the distinction for having the babies in oil tanks like what is it that you wanted to hide about the kids yeah you like, know like what what consciousness came on like onto you that you felt that that was the best decision yeah put them there yeah you instead know? of at least in a christian society that we see you know yeah, americans yeah, yeah. very uphold a lot of christian values you would bury your children your two babies they're your two sweethearts and the fact that they were put in oil tanks is like they he didn't even want to preserve the bodies possibly to show the manner in which they were killed yeah which is highlighting red flags for me so yeah it's, and, and 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 those red flags are very clear and then at some point we end up finding out that uh he's the one responsible for murdering these children which is awful like it's just and and i think it's very well done to like the director does a good job like conveying how horrific that idea is like the fact that this guy decided to deliberately kill his wife and kids to essentially kind of like remove his old life and start a new one with this like random person that kind of like align a little bit with his new his new interests shows what are like the like the limits that we can have like like oh yeah i forgot that humans were capable of this and it's really sad to see yeah. and even the judge kind of sounds very surprised and like distraught and shocked by the fact that he has to like be a judge for this because he's saying like this is very cut and dry this is very horrific and there's nothing other than like the maximum penalty for the situation this is very simple yeah. in that sense and he's very clear about it and well what what i felt like was very key in order to um in order to prosecute him was So I felt like the prosecutors really needed to get through that it just doesn't make sense. Why would a mother who loved their kids kill her? So they obviously the investigators don't believe that story at all. Right. And they tell Chris, we don't believe that for one minute. Mm -hmm. You knew what you wanted. You wanted to clean out. You were cheating on this woman. You thought, I want a clean start. And so I'm going to kill my wife and then kill the two daughters because I just want a clean start. And somehow you thought you would get away with it. So we need the real truth here. What happened? And that is when we see Chris break down and confess that they did have an argument that night. Mm -hmm. And that um, when she did come home, you know, she was begging again for sex, kind of putting her hand over his body. So they had sex that night. And then when they woke up, he claims that she woke up and kind of said, you know, I still love you. I know you're you know, cheating on me because they did go in the film into the extent of the uh, Shanann finding out the bank account statements that she did a great job like of figuring out that how the affair was happening. So she knew together, that night right. that he was already cheating on her because he had spent $60 at a restaurant yep. and she had questioned him about it. And he said, oh, it was just dinner, but it didn't add up. So she knew yeah. that was a fair. So in the morning she woke up and kind of said, I know you're cheating on me, but I want to make this work. And he said, it's over. Yeah. And he said that 
after that, you know, he just started strangling her. He had contemplated killing her the night before and just didn't know when he was going to do it. So the morning of he's after he said he was leaving and she didn't want to accept it. He started strangling her. And, you know, the prosecutors, I mean, sorry, the investigators kind of said, did she struggle at all? And he was saying, no, he's like, it's very strange that you look untouched, unmarked for a man who strangles a woman that's awake. Yes. You would see some kind of scars. So I think you're lying. I don't think she woke up that morning. I think you strangled her in her sleep. Right. And we don't ever get a clear confession from him about that. Which is good because it, it gets the conversation going. But um, Chris then says that in the process of him strangling her, uh, Bella, their daughter, the oldest daughter, walks in. Yes. And asks what's going on, what's wrong with mommy, because mommy was face down on the bed. Yeah. Um, and uh, Chris then told his daughter that her mother was sick. So then he then loaded her body into the back of his work truck and his daughter's without car seats in the back. Yeah. And he said he, Chris mentioned that, you know, Bella came in when he saw them with her blankie. Mm -hmm. So he then proceeds to take Shannon's body to the site. He says, I know this um, car ride was just horrific. I couldn't bear it because the body was in the back of the truck. The girls were in the back seat. It was a 45 to one hour minute drive. And I just remember the entire time the girls kind of, you know, holding each other and resting on their lap, asking, where's mommy? What's going on, daddy? Right. And, and this is where it gets like really dark because he yes. says that at, like he takes his kids with him to bury his mother or their mother. He knew that he would have to eventually have to do something about the kids. About the kids because and, we have a witness here. Right. Bella saw. So it just gets like, it, 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 that's where like, that's like the most crazy, like that's the craziest thing that you see in the documentary. This is where you feel like, un okay, okay, this, this human being is, is a sociopath, yeah, a psychotic okay. right. person. He's, he's not okay. He is, I mean, not just because he killed somebody. Right, but in the scope of things, like in the scope of being like a murderer, he's like not just like, he's very much out there in the sense that he's premeditating that after me and my kids are gonna bury mommy. I'm gonna have to kill these two kids. And he has two rides that are 45 minutes long, according to him, to make that decision. Because he has to take the like take them to the body and then he has to go to the silo. That's like an hour where you're just thinking about, once this car stops, I'm killing two children and, and putting them in oil tanks. And not just any, your own right, that's ridiculous. children that that's you insane. love Allegedly. having, I mean, I don't know how anybody could go through with it. Yep. Um, but the, they, they actually do mention um, on the, in the film uh, that, how do I explain this? It's just, it's, it's so hard. I was shocked seeing that part of him, just the fact that you could just kill your um, children. Yeah. But um, he does, he does mention that he was haunted by the words of his daughters asking, where is mommy? Why is mommy? And the way they really, the way that he was confessing to that, he said it'll haunt him for the rest of his life. Um, which is just, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know anybody who could just bear it, you know, 
And I think it's fitting because um, killing your own daughters and and then throughout the documentary they also pose very briefly like the debate where asked to give him the death penalty as it's Colorado versus just having him serve life in prison and then um, the mom of the victim of Shanann said that he had the opportunity and decided to take my daughter's life I don't want to do that so I'm I don't want to be like him right let's I want him to think about that for the rest of his life right and that's it's very telling the amount of hurt you know these families had right um, seeing this but um so he then buries the wife and then he says he smothered both children one after the other with a blanket in the back seat of his truck and then he said there was a hatchet atop of the oil tank that you just pop it open and yep. he kind of disposed of the bodies of this daughters in the oil tank mm-hmm. um and these these oil tanks are like 20 feet deep so the, the the rescue search for those bodies it, it was extensive um and that's the one thing i just i just don't understand how you could do that to your daughters and then you know dispose of them and then the way something i wanted to mention was that they actually logged the calls on his phone that morning and he had actually already called school saying that the girls were going to be unenrolled. He had called a property, a real yeah. estate, saying he was going to sell the house. So this man, instead of like, I just killed my family, I don't deserve to live. Mm-hmm. I loved him so much, let me kill myself. This man wanted to get away with it. Yeah, like, and that's kind of like when you start to see like, okay, this person uh, took some time to carefully craft throughout the four days of the whole investigation taking place. Um, oh, he did this the morning of the no, morning. No, but what I mean by that is that throughout the four days, like, he was already, he had already crafted, like, an extensive web of arguments and potential alibis yeah. and lies just to kind of be like, if I can withstand, like, the whole, like, first 48 hours argument, I think I'm going to be okay. He just, he wanted it, he wanted to get away with it and, it's so and run crazy. away with his lover. And the woman, they actually uh, show a little snippet of her interview where they asked, did you have any involvement? Did you know? And she was, and you can tell within her body language, she was very leaning in, open, hands over her head, just shaking, showing that. And she even said, I'm just shocked. I can't believe how disgusting this is. He lied to me. I just now I'm remembering all the lies he told me. He said that she left her, she left him and that she wasn't coming back. And so I believed him and it's just, she had no, you could, and the officers had no suspicion that she was a part of that. Right, right. Murder. They knew that he carried it out alone, but, um. So, that to me was just so it just oh shows like it was just a horrific thing to see and and the fact that they could like pull it together was just uh i mean it's it's good because it shows that that you know there's law enforcement that's very dil- diligent and very uh involved but it just, at the same time it's one of those things where it's like one you can't trust what you see on social media like if yeah. i had to like summarize the takeaways yeah uh you can't trust social media um there's there's always going to be thoroughness towards the cases that are involving like abuse domestic abuse for that matter and finally that that um i think that you just have to be very open you know about like the things that you want i feel like a lot i mean obviously i'm not i'm no expert here but there was a clear problem and then communicating of course. I mean, you can tell this person was not 
I, I mean, it's kind of crazy to say what could drive somebody to do this yeah. when all you needed to say was, I want a divorce. Yeah. It didn't need to come to the point of this. This person um, was deranged. This person is just evil, pure evil that you could just think of. It's not enough for her to live her life and her kids and, your, and my kids to just be there. I need to remove them. They need to be almost exterminated. For me to have this happy new life with my, you know, like affair. there's no need for there's you no to need. try to hard absolutely not your life. Like, this this man was just, I it, it, and it's it's shocking to see the the videos of his girls, you know, singing to him. You're a hero, daddy. Seeing him being so loving and supportive yeah. through the texts and videos, and then somebody commit this heinous murder. I mean, right. just that's um. That's just for me. That was that was kind of it. And one of the last points about this movie that I felt was so powerful and I felt that was a very emotionally compelling was uh Chris Watts was, you know, he was charged with three counts of first degree murder. So he has to serve three life sentences. I actually um, found on Wikipedia that uh, he actually has a total of five charges. Um, oh yeah, because he technically tampered with the birth. So that's technically yeah. one. And then he killed three people. Yeah, he received an additional 48 years for the unlawful termination of his wife's pregnancy and 36 years for three charges of tampering with a deceased body. Right, because he had to bury. He had to bury and basically, I mean, his daughter's bodies are, it's just incomprehensible right. the amount of, you know, tampering he did to put them in an oil tank. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so he was um, going to face the death penalty, but his uh, the mother, Sandy of Shanann, actually said that, she, you know, yeah. you said it already, that she didn't want to see another death. Yeah. She and did. she wanted him to live that uh, for the rest of his life. And right. these parents just, they were just shocked. They said, we have videos of your daughter saying you're the hero. Yep. How could you bear to kill them? And, and your wife, we loved you like a son. Mm. How could you do this? Yeah, and, and, and on the opposite side of that, you also see his parents mm -hmm. obviously shocked and heartbroken by this. Oh, yeah. But you, as as I think a lot of parents would do in, in their situation, they say that they forgive him yeah. and then they're here for him. And you can't help but be like, but okay, let's kind of take a step back here. Could you, as a person, forgive someone yeah. for downright... Murdering like, your granddaughters grand, like and your grandchildren, and then an in-law that, even though you hated, you had no position to make such a reckless decision of just trying to outright kill, just because you wanted to start your life over. Like when you put it like that, objectively, regardless of it being your son or not, it takes a, a specific type of like resolve and like relationship yeah it's uh you have to be in a it's very, a very actually i have to say it's a very christian thing to forgive you know yeah like it, it, it's it's not it's not easy and they even said like put yourselves in our shoes we are the parents of you know somebody who committed this act and i i know it seems impossible to 
to believe that we could even harbor any love and uh, feelings for him, but we do. Right. This is very hard for us to process. Um, but we love you and forgive you, son. Yeah. Right. So it's it's an interesting point of view that a lot of people will be like, "Why? She's they're crazy." But if you think about it, it's also family, and family yeah. kind of brings like an inherent set of um, rules or unspoken kind of agreements. So yeah. it's it's just an interesting stance that obviously is polarizing, and I'm assuming uh, that a lot of people will be against it, but objectively like it's understandable that they're like asking for the forgiveness that you know and will never I, I feel like the hurt and turmoil that shenan's parents had to go through with not just you know the murder of her daughter and her granddaughters of their granddaughters but also the bashing and the bullying that they received on social media I, all of this combined and you know and seeing the killer or the you know the person you thought could be family and handcuffs, you know. I just felt like that's just the worst kind of thing you could ever go through in. Of course, like, like no, you should hard. never, like no one needs to be put through that level of- No one deserves to put, be put through that. Stress, yeah. and it's just so draining. And the film does a really good job of kind of giving that perspective. Yeah. And it, kind of providing all of the evidence. Um, in a way that is just, I, I felt like it was just raw. It mm -hmm. was just raw. And yeah, if you haven't checked it out already <laughs> between us talking about this, go check out American Murder on Netflix. Look, I want to hear what people have to say. About I, same. I want to know what people think about how he interviewed. Because there's, there's a couple of interesting points where there's a clear debate going on. Like you can like make some interesting arguments here. And you can be yeah. like, I want to see what do you think his evolution throughout the documentary looks like? It, do you think he unraveled? Do you think that he did the right things to get away with murder? Like, I want to see what people think of like the way that it's put together. I also want to see what they think about um, Shanann because she wasn't no, like she doesn't deserve to die. Nobody does. but. She was also very flawed. Like, do you think that she handled the relationship well with him? Like, I mean, this is hard. A lot of people, I, I feel like you should never, you know, victim blame and especially a dead person that can't defend themselves. Right. You should never, you should never talk bad about the dead, especially when they can't even defend themselves. That's I true. Mean, I, I, that is just crazy for me. I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I don't think I could get there, but yeah. I believe everybody should see this and really know that a lot of, you know, domestic abuse, a lot of rapes, a lot of murders are committed in relationships and most of the time are committed by men. Yep. Um, so it's very important to have these conversations. Correct. You know, um, and possibly maybe it changed the way the legal system kind of views this. I mean, I feel like they did the right thing with the sentencing. Yep, oh, for sure. But in a lot of cases, I know that's not the case for a lot of people. Nope. A lot of different other... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of impunity. A lot of people get away with it, unfortunately. Alrighty, well, thank you guys for listening. Um, this episode was a little bit unique. We were commentaring, uh, commentating on the Netflix movie. Um, and we really want to hear your thoughts. Let us know what you think. And thanks for listening to the True Crime October series.
And Manny, is there anything else you wanted to add in? Anything you wanted to say? I think that this was fun. We should do it again sometime. <laughs> yeah, well, it's going to be really scary this October. If you guys like stories. me, just let me know. <laughs> yeah, Manny is a very unique perspective that not a lot of people have. He, he, he provides me new insight. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. And thank you guys for listening. I'll see you on the next one for the True Crime October series. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.